Hey, good morning. Thank you so much for watching live. Hey, if you're running around uh, in the morning or maybe you're working out, thanks for listening to the podcast. Well, happy birthday, Southridge. We turned four on Friday. Can you believe it? I remember our first Sunday, I was stressed out. I threw up a couple times. Nervous as all get out, but because of you, we have made it to, to four. So thank you so much. Well, what I'm going to talk about today, I personally struggle with. So out of all the values that we'll be talking about, this is the one I struggle with the most, but I do believe it's the most necessary. This is the type of church that I want to attend. This is a church I want to lead, something that values what we'll be talking about today. Look, something that we do to kick off each year is to talk culture and specifically the culture at Southridge. Um, our church is unique because our culture is unique. Our people are unique. It's not better. It's just different. So culture, the way that we've been defining it is the mission, vision, and values of an organization. So our mission is probably the same as many churches. It's to make followers of Jesus. And we get that from Jesus in Matthew 28. Now, we say it a little differently here. So our, our mission is sort of our foundation of our church, and that's to inspire people to follow Jesus. On top of that foundation is our vision, and our vision is creating spaces for people to be inspired to follow Jesus every day of the week. And I can't wait for that facility to happen because we'll be using that thing 24-7. So you have mission, values, and then, or mission, vision, and then values. And values are something we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks, and uh, we've been looking at four values this go-around, and it makes our church different. Now, we're going to look at this value today, trust over suspicion. Now, all of us experience conflict. If you breathe, <laughs> you experience conflict, and you may push back, and I don't mean to offend you, but if you feel like you don't experience conflict, you're probably too comfortable. Or it may even be that you're too lazy. There's got to be things <laughs> that you expect out of life. And there's people I'm sure you expect to make those things happen. The conflict comes when there is a gap. A gap between expectations and experience. So the gap between what you expect people to do and what they actually do. I mean, there's the gap. For me, it drives me bananas when I see three dots on a text exchange. When I'm texting someone and they've been texting back and I text them back a question and it's dot, 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 dot. It drives me crazy. Or if I email someone about something really important and it takes them more than 24 hours to respond, it's crazy. Or maybe your team should have won, but they didn't. And look, I'm a man. If you are a Cleveland fan watching this, props to you for beating the Steelers. It was a devastating Sunday. No. We choose what we place in those gaps. It, we either put trust or we put suspicion. We go for trust or we go for suspicion. And, and, and can I ask, what you choose actually determines the health of your relationships. Like when there's trust, conflict becomes healthy. But when there's suspicion in that gap, conflict becomes destructive. So maybe this helps. Trust is like a currency, and it's a currency in relationships. There's not much, if there's not much in the account, relationships are poor. There's no expecting the best 
in someone. There's no giving someone the benefit of the doubt. If there's a lot of trust in the account, then that relationship is rich, that I'm willing to give someone the benefit of the doubt. I'm willing to, to believe that, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to believe the best. There, there's cheering someone on who may be better at something than you are. There, there's just no jealousy there. There's love between each other. Think of marriage. That, man, I, I have my wife's back or I have my husband's back. You think of kids. You think of you know, giving them something to do, teaching them responsibility and expecting them to be growing into the person that you want them to be. Or, or maybe you have these at church that I'm willing to trust people. I'm willing to, in my group, what is said in group stays in group. That I trust these men or women. Um, as followers of Jesus, our choice actually has already been selected on how we should respond and fill that gap. Notice what, what Paul writes. He says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous, boastful, or proud, or rude. It doesn't demand its own way, it's not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Notice this, love never gives up, never loses faith, always trusts, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. It's a great picture. See, before you use the word love, please make sure you understand what it should be communicating. We've had people tell us they love us and they've stabbed us, they've hurt us. I mean, it's, it's been painful. See, suspicion really is never a choice for a follower of Jesus. See, two things make it difficult for us to trust. One, it, who I am or who you are. Maybe you're suspicious by nature. Maybe you grew up raised that way. Or maybe, like me, it's a learned behavior. Not only who I am, but what I see. Maybe in the past, you've had a really bad experience. You've been burned before. Or maybe that person in your life is dropping balls, or maybe they're over-promising and under-delivering. I remember when Jenny and I, one of our first conversations, we were at Sabaro down uh, in, in in Chesterfield, <laughs> and we both came from unhealthy relationships. And I just remember, hey baby, I, I, I oh I didn't call her baby. I said Jenny, I just want you to know, I am what you see. Like this is who I am, and it really began to set the tone. Look, we have a really good example of what of what not to do, and we're going to be looking at a guy by the name of King Saul. He was the first king of Israel. Now, to set the scene, we all pretty much know who David is, David and Goliath. Well, he has just killed Goliath. And Israel has won one of their biggest battles against a people who actually oppressed them for years. Now, David has just met with King Saul, the whole big congratulatory, hey, you beat this guy. So here's where we're going to pick up the story. After David had finished talking with Saul, he met with Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between them for Jonathan loved David. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Now, Jonathan sealed the pact. Now, this is a little different than what we're used to. By taking off his robe and giving it to David together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. Now, 
it, it was considered a special mark of respect to be given garments by the prince. Now, the gift of a belt is kind of awkward uh, now, but back then it was a token of confidence, affection. Basically, David, uh, Jonathan's saying, man, I'm vulnerable. I- I'm trusting you with my life. Now, if anyone had the right to be jealous, it was Jonathan because he was technically next in line to be king. But God had a change of mind. Now, instead of against all odds, Jonathan decides to trust David, chooses to trust David. Now, notice, whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. David was a likable guy. Now, when the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and they danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Notice this. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. Wow. Now, if you're already suspicious, this isn't a good thing for you. Now, this song and dance was customary when winning a big battle. Now, think of a parade. Whenever a town you're watching from, imagine the streets filling up with people and the floats going by. Now, of course, pre-COVID, and people are throwing out candy. There's It's just a lot of hype. Now, notice This made Saul very angry. Not all the hype, but who the hype was directed to. What's this? They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands? Next, they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, David kept a jealous eye on David. Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Now, in that day, kings had a short lifespan. I mean, people were trying to take their place. And the only way to take the place of a king is to, yeah, is for the king to die. Now, there was mistrust and there was fear in that culture. And Saul, he fell into that culture of mistrust. He chose suspicion over trust. Saul's suspicion, well, I can't say that five times fast, uh, poisoned him and his relationships. Saul attempted to kill David, now his son-in-law, and there's, we're going to talk more about that, multiple times. So Jonathan, the king's son, saved David from being killed. And then Michael, who was Saul's daughter and David's wife, saved him as well from being killed by their dad. I mean, you think you have it bad with your father-in-law? You don't have Saul as your father-in-law. Now, Saul's relationship with his kids, it was obviously distant. It was obviously unhealthy. Look, we're not sure how long it was between chapters 18 and 22. Now there's a wedding between David and Michael's, um, Saul's daughter. Um, a couple battles, escapes by David from being killed by Saul. Now, while Saul was on the hunt, trying to locate David, who ran away, a prophet encouraged David to go back. He said, go back to Judah. Now, pick it back up. The news of David's arrival in Judah soon reached Saul. At that time, the king was sitting beneath a tamarisk tree on the hill, at Gibeah, holding his spear and surrounded by his officers. Listen here, you men of Benjamin. Saul shouted to his officers when he heard the news. Remember, this is tense. Imagine him yelling and pointing his finger. Has that son of Jesse promised every one of you fields and vineyards? Has he promised to make you generals and captains in his army? Is that why you have conspired against me? For not one of you told me when my own son made a solemn pact with the son of Jesse. You're not even sorry for me. Think of it. My own son. 
encouraging him to kill me as he is trying to do this very day. He has created this false narrative. He has created, he has allowed suspicion to create that false narrative. Now, Saul's suspicion cost him relationships. It cost him relationships with his family. It cost him his relationship with David. He held things in. And look, guys, when we hold things in, it never, it never plays out well. Saul never confronted David. He never confronted Jonathan about this. He talked himself in this narrative that David was trying to kill him, and it, was, it never happened. Saul created a culture of mistrust, even with his own rank. Saul blamed others for the culture of mistrust that he actually created. Listen, when we choose not to trust and refuse to confront, our concealed suspicion grows and poisons our attitude. Look, our attitudes about people in our relationships are telegraphed. Y'all, people know when you don't like someone. (laughs) Even the best of us, even the best poker face. Have you ever been poisoned before? Man, you tell. You can tell on the outside. Hey, I don't want you to miss this. The, the longer you wait to resolve the relationship, the heavier the weight will be in that relationship. The consequences of confrontation or confronting are far less severe than the consequences of concealing. Now think about it. The consequences of confronting are they're tangible, they're immediate, and it, the impact only a few relationships. But if you think about it, the consequences of concealing, they're intangible, they're long-lasting, and they can impact every relationship in your life. Imagine, imagine Saul, imagine Saul's life. Imagine how it could have been different if he would have chose trust over suspicion. Even as a king living in a culture of mistrust, imagine how his relationships would have been different if he decided to build good culture. See, our first step is to admit that we have a hard time trusting someone in our life. And then we need to do the honest test and ask the honest question and honest answer. Is the issue me or is the issue them? The second step is to make commitments when we choose to trust and be trustworthy. So I'm going to give a set of two, three commitments. Now, this may be uncomfortable, and this may require some uncomfortable conversations with people in the next week or the next month. This may even mean that we write these commitments out so we don't forget them. Even though it's difficult for us to trust, we need to make these three commitments to ourselves and to the people we have a relationship with. So, when number one, when there is a gap between what I expected and what I experienced, I will fill it with trust. I'm going to give someone the benefit of the doubt. Two, when I observe someone filling in a gap with suspicion, I will come to your defense. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm listening in on a conversation between in-laws or coworkers or employees and, or teammates or, or neighbors, and they say something about you. I'm going to defend you. I'm going to have your back. Now, you know what? That doesn't sound like them. Three, if what I experience begins to erode my trust, I will come directly to you about it. 
and this may be difficult, it will definitely be awkward. And from my experience, it, it tends to get emotional. There's tears, there's anger, there's yelling. Someone is quiet, looking away. Now imagine if we made these three commitments in our relationship with God. I mean, how many of us need to fill what we expect from him and what we experience from him, that gap with trust? I'm going to go out on a limb and say all of us because some of us are walking away from some unnecessary reasons. Now, sometimes we're on the other side of the gap where we need to choose to be trustworthy. Now, being trustworthy is not about being perfect. It's about being worthy of trust. And it's about addressing the gap that I may have created. So even though it may sound easy for us to choose to be trustworthy, we need to make these three commitments to ourselves and to the people in our lives. Number one, I commit to do what I say I will do and what I don't do, I will tell you. I gotta own it. I have to own the situation quickly. And then even if it seems like I'm over-communicating, maybe I'm, I'm emailing, I'm texting, I'm calling, it's just building trust. Number two, I commit to not over-promise and under-deliver. If it looks like that's where things are going to be headed, I'll tell you. If it's going to cost a little bit more than we expected, I'll let you know. If it's going to change, I'm going to let you know. Number three, if you confront me about the gap I created, I'll tell you the truth. Like the temptation is to blame. The, the temptation is to blame other people, not to take ownership of it. We blame another person. We blame maybe human nature. Or we blame something else. And, and quite honestly, matter, most of the time, it's not the other person. It's just a system issue that something broke down outside of their control. When we begin to, to bl blame people, there begins to erode the trust currency. Some of us, we resist out of fear because we've seen their response to a gap. And we're afraid of that. We're afraid of parents. We're afraid of how teachers or coaches or friends will respond. We don't want to lose that relationship. So we'll cover some things up or we'll blame someone else. Or maybe if you're married, you have some debt and you're trying to cover that up. Or maybe you're addicted to something. You're trying to, to cover that up. See, at Southridge, we really believe in this principle we believe in this value guys honestly it will drive some crazy that we choose to trust over being sus suspicious and this will also drive some away because we choose to confront rather than concealing well, we may not get it right but man we will commit to trying to get it right this is one of the hardest values, but I believe it's one of the most necessary values. I'm learning, I'm growing each and every day with this, and I hope that you're willing to do that with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for reminding us that you can be trusted. And Father, out of that relationship with you, we are able to have the ability to trust other people. It's difficult, it's hard because of past hurts, but God, what I'm asking is that you will help us to navigate these relationships with, without fear. But we would navigate these relationships with faith. 
I ask that you would help us to do just that. For some, maybe that is listening, they don't want to trust you with their soul. And they're, and they're holding back from a decision of following Jesus. We ask that you would pursue them. We ask that they would have the courage to trust Jesus because Jesus changes everything. God, we might have some people that are holding on to bitterness and resentment and hurt. And Father, I'm asking they would release that to you. God, they would seek your forgiveness and the forgiveness of someone else. Lord, the <laughs> following Jesus is not easy, but man, it is so satisfying. Jesus, give us the strength to serve you and follow you well. In Jesus' name, amen.